Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. You, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. As we are continuing through the Gospel of Luke together. So your family decides to go on vacation. And you really don't practice this much when you do go on vacation. But you decide to go visit a church. A church you've never visited before, but you checked the church out online, and you thought it would be a good idea to take your family to go to church. And so you you walk into the building, and you you walk into the sanctuary, and you suddenly realize that not very many people are, are carrying their Bibles, which is a little bit strange. And then you immediately notice, as the pastor stands up to preach, that he mentions a Bible verse in passing, but then he never gets back to the Bible. He begins to tell stories about himself. He begins to be very humorous. He may actually season in a bit of political speeches in there. And and really, you're, you're at the edge of your seat entertained by a man that spoke a lot about himself. He gave you some tidbits for life that will help you through the week. And you came away, and it was a feel good message. But overall, you left wondering. Was the Bible ever opened? Was the Bible ever explained? Was the Bible ever really front and center to the message? And as a matter of fact, you begin to remember, did he even talk about Jesus? Was there mention of sin? Was there mention of the need for the gospel? And you left that service thinking to yourself, what I just heard would have really been acceptable at the Elks Club, at the Lions Club, at the local Boy Scout chapter, at a self-help seminar. It really wasn't that different than what I would hear out in the world. It was a positive message. It was a casual talk from a humorous guy on stage that knew how to tell stories and how to entertain and how to give you some advice for living the Christian life. Which brings up a very important question, and this makes me very vulnerable this morning. puts me in a precarious situation, because I'm going to ask some questions related to me as your pastor. Here's the question. How do you know if your pastor has faithfully preached the Word of God? How do you evaluate for yourself a sermon to see if it was effective if it, was, if it was biblical. And then the other question to ask is, what role do you as the congregation play in the actual preaching of God's Word? Do you have a role to play? Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. It's a scary passage of Scripture because it explains a lot of what's going on in our world today. As a pastor, I'm charged by the living Christ who's going to judge the living and the dead. I am charged to preach the Word, the inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word. Not my opinions, not stories about me, not casual fireside chats. I'm not up here to entertain you. I am here to preach the Word. And as we come into Luke chapter 4, I find it very fascinating that we actually get to hear a sermon by Jesus himself. Jesus preaches a sermon. And I would submit to you that Jesus was the greatest preacher ever to live. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan, said, Jesus alone is the prince of preachers. He alone is the best of expositors. And I agree. Jesus did things that I can't do. He spoke in parables and he generated his own truth. As the Son of God, he could read people's minds and know exactly where they were. And he could penetrate into their hearts. He was the prince of preachers. Did you know that Jesus' ministry was marked primarily by preaching? We think of him healing, we think of him doing miracles, but Jesus came primarily as a preacher. Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 4, 23, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming or preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Mark tells us in Mark 1, 38-39, he said to them, Jesus, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And as we'll see next week in Luke chapter 4, 43-44, he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Clearly, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially present Jesus as a preacher, a preacher of the gospel. And so as we come to this passage of Scripture this morning, we have an actual sermon from Jesus. So we have to ask the question, what can we learn from the very words of Jesus himself in the sermon that he preaches in Nazareth in his hometown when he goes to the synagogue. So let's read this. This is right on the heels of a few weeks ago where Jesus was tested in the wilderness for 40 days. He emerged victorious. And so let's pick up in Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. 
And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus is a preacher. And he preaches a message in his hometown. And what we see from this passage of Scripture are four key elements of a biblical, faithful sermon. So we'll see from the mouth of Jesus himself what a biblical sermon looks like. And I know this puts me in a very precarious situation, but you need to evaluate me as your pastor or anybody that you listen to as your pastor, and you've got to ask the questions, does your pastor preach the way Jesus did? Do you see a model of how Jesus preached the word? How do you know you've sat under good biblical preaching? How do you know it's biblical? How do you know it's effective? How do you know what you're listening to is of the Lord? And how do you participate in the preaching event yourselves as the congregation? So let's explore these together. Here's the first. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now remember, the Holy Spirit is a prominent role in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. He went into the wilderness. And he was ministered to by the Holy Spirit who led him into the wilderness. But look at verse 14. Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. This is very crucial. Before Jesus began any public ministry or any preaching, he himself was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was empowered. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, 
What is significant is that even our Lord himself, the Son of God, could not have exercised his ministry as a man on earth if he had not received this special, peculiar anointing of the Holy Spirit to perform his task. Now, this is amazing to me because if Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit, how much more does a weak, frail man like me need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Jesus was empowered by the Spirit. Stephen Olford, in his great book, Anointed Expository Preaching, says this, What we need today is a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit if our ministry is to penetrate the hearts of saints and sinners alike. Where there is anointing, there is the authority. It's been known by different names, by different pastors. George Whitfield, back when he preached in England, he called it thunder and lightning. God just gave me the thunder and lightning. Charles Spurgeon, when he preached, he called it a sacred anointing. Lloyd-Jones, when he preached, he said it was the smile of God upon the preacher. John Piper, a more modern person, says this, How utterly dependent we are on the Holy Spirit in the work of preaching. All genuine preaching is rooted in a feeling of desperation. I need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to stand up here and proclaim with authority the Word of God. And how does the Holy Spirit work through preaching? 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5, what does Paul say to the Corinthians? My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your faith doesn't rest in me. Your faith rests in the power of God, in the wisdom of God. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And then 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let me ask you a question, congregation. Do you pray for your pastor to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Do you pray for the Holy Spirit to do a work here this morning through the preaching of the Word? Do you pray for God's Spirit to fall upon us as the Word of God is open to us? We are powerless in this moment without the Holy Spirit. All I'm doing is just standing up here talking if the Holy Spirit's not present. Do you come prayed up? There was an old expression that Dutch pastors would give to their congregations. And it's kind of translated in English. But this is, this is a prayer I would have you pray for me. The Dutch pastors would say, If you pray me full, I will preach you full. If you pray me full, I'll preach you full. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored has happened among you. Are you praying for that right now? That the word of God would be honored. The word of God would be honored. 
And then Colossians 4, 3 through 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Are you praying for the preaching of God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit in this place right now? Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit before he preached. And notice the words that he said when he read the text in verse In verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me. He refers back when he reads the text to the anointing and the empowering of the Holy Spirit upon him. So the first aspect of genuine biblical preaching is, is the pastor empowered, anointed by the Holy Spirit? And that comes in the congregation praying for that. Okay, let's look at number two. Not only was Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit, but here's number two. Jesus explained the scriptures. Jesus explained the scriptures. Now, this takes place in the synagogue, which was the local church in that day. Let me explain to you what happened in the synagogue. And notice what your Bible says. It was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue. Synagogue met every Saturday, every Sabbath. Jesus was in church probably every week either attending or preaching. So what happened in the synagogue worship service? Well, the rabbi or the synagogue ruler would lead the worship service. There would be singing of psalms. There would be singing. There would be the reading of the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then there was a repetition of the 18 blessings. And then there was a reading, a scripture reading from the first five books of the Old Testament. And there was a reading from the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And then there was an expository sermon where the rabbi would explain and preach the text. And then after he read and explained the text, he would pray a prayer blessing over the congregation. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that the liturgy and worship of the synagogue was adopted by the early church, and it's pretty much what we do today. It comes out of the synagogue. We sing. We read scriptures, we hear preaching, we hear blessings, we give tithes and offerings. It's what Jesus did when he went to church. But what was Jesus' Bible passage? Did Jesus stand up and preach a parable when he went into the synagogue? No, he preached a text. The attendant handed him the scroll, and it was Isaiah chapter 61, 1 through 2. This is what was read in our call to worship. Jesus is reading from the scroll of Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. And Jesus reads this text. And the text has four points, four things that this Messiah, this anointed Messiah would come to do. How do we know there's four points? But because there's the word to do something. Two plus an infinitive. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me. Here's number one. To proclaim good news to the poor. The word proclaim good news is the word we get evangelized. Jesus is saying, God has called me to come evangelize the poor. Now, does the poor mean just people that are financially poor? Is that what Jesus came to do to help the people that are financially poor? No, that's not what it means. It means those who are poor in spirit. What did Jesus say at the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? 
It means to be utterly bankrupt of any of your own righteousness, where you basically are a beggar because of your sinful condition, and you stand guilty before a holy God, and you realize, I am poverty-stricken in my sin. I am destitute of any righteousness. I'm destitute of any goodness. I have to cast myself totally upon Jesus to save me because I have no righteousness of my own. It was good news to those who knew they were spiritually bankrupt. What else did Jesus come to do? Well, there in verse 18, when he's quoting Isaiah 61, the second thing is he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, are these people that are in physical captivity, those that are in jail or prison? No, again, it's spiritual realities. Those that are in spiritual bondage, Jesus came to preach their release. They came to give them the good news that they can be rescued from spiritual bondage, the forces of, of the devil, the, the clutches of evil. Paul says in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's delivered us from darkness. So Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, to Proclaim liberty to those that were in spiritual bondage. Notice what else it says there. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To set at liberty. The original language, that word there means to forgive sin. To free those that were in sin. To bring forgiveness of sins. Now, it's interesting. The first two things that Jesus does are to preach. I'm here to preach this. I'm here to proclaim this. But the third thing, Jesus says, I'm here to do it. I'm here to release. I'm here to, to, I'm here to set free. How is Jesus going to set free the captives? Well, on the cross. He's going to shed his blood. He's going to die on the cross to release us from captivity, from that blindness, from that spiritual bondage. And then the last thing Jesus says in verse 19, I've come to proclaim, again, to preach the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what's the year of the Lord's favor? That's a direct reference to the year of Jubilee. If you go back to Leviticus 25, you find out that after 49 years, on the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. Indentured servants were set free. People who had major debts, their debts were forgiven. It was a wonderful year where all debts were forgiven and all people were released from captivity. And Jesus says, this is the year of Jubilee right now. And how did they announce the year of Jubilee back in those days? They blew the shofar, and they blew it on the Day of Atonement that would start the year of Jubilee, that one day where all their sins would be forgiven. And so Jesus is standing there in front of them, almost blowing the trumpet, saying, All these promises that God made about salvation coming through an anointed Messiah, it's happening now. It's available to you now. I'm blowing the trumpet now. So Jesus takes a text and he explains it. He explains the text. Now, I can't get into the Greek here to explain to you why I believe he explained more of this. 
You'll have to read chapter two of my doctoral dissertation, and I'll go into more detail if you want to be bored with that. But just trust me, he went on to explain further this text. And so let me ask you a question. As your pastor, do I stand up and do I read the text? And do I explain the text? And do I make the text plain? Can you follow along with your own eyes where I'm going? Can you get the points that I'm giving you with your own eyes? Or do you walk away every Sunday, scratch your head like, I have no idea what he said or where he got that. Do I give you my opinions or do I give you the text? That's the question. The written word. John Stott said this, To expound Scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. The preacher prizes open what appears to be closed, makes plain what is obscure, unravels what is knotted, and unfolds what is tightly packed. The opposite of exposition is imposition, which is to impose on the text what's not there. Do I impose my opinion on the text, what I think it says, or do I expose or lift out what's there so that we can all understand it? Do I clearly explain the text? In other words, when you hear a sermon, is it full of Bible? Is it Bible, 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 verse by verse, explaining to you the scriptures? Or has it been briefly mentioned? Or did you walk away never looking at it? And it was the whole sermon about the pastor and his stories? Or was it always going back to the text, the text, the text? Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As your pastor, have I fed you well on Sunday morning the word of God so that when you leave here, it has dwelt richly in you because you've been in the Bible. We've taken a journey in the Bible. The Bible is what we're talking about front and center. So number one, Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Pastors need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus explained the written text. Jesus explained the Bible. As a pastor, I need to explain the Bible. But here's number three. Jesus exalted himself as Savior and Lord. I can't do this. Only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus can fold up the Bible and say, this is about me. Look what he does. Look what he does. Verse 20. He rolled up the scroll And gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all of the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Can you you imagine this in your mind? Jesus rolls up the scroll, sits down, and just looks at him. And they're all looking at him. What's what's, what's he going to say next? Notice what he says. Today. Today. This scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, congregation in synagogue in Nazareth, those of you that have known me since I was a kid, saw me grow up in Joseph's home as a carpenter, what Isaiah wrote about 700 years ago, I'm it. It's about me. I'm this anointed Messiah that's come to do these things. I'm sitting right in front of you in the flesh as the Messiah. This entire sermon is about me, Jesus says. And Paul says that this is what pastors are supposed to do. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. What we proclaim or what we preach is not ourselves, 
but Christ Jesus as Lord with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. Paul doesn't say, listen, we're talking about ourselves, we're preaching ourselves, it's all about us. Paul says, no, what we do is we exalt Jesus, we lift up Jesus, the center of the message, the center of the worship service. This text is all about Jesus. He is the center of attention. Charles Spurgeon famously said this. He had a group of young pastors with him, and he was training these young pastors, and this is what he said. We preach Christ Christ. And him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. <laughs> no Jesus in your sermon? Go home and don't ever say a word again. If Christ is not exalted from this pulpit, then what are we doing? It's all about Jesus. Many of you may remember the late J. Vernon McGee, the, the famous Through the Bible. He, he had those books Through the Bible, and it was on the radio. Um, he was the pastor of the Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles. Um, he had a plaque on his pulpit that only he could see. Nobody else could see it. But the plaque was from John 12, 21. And the plaque read this, Sir, we would see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. And it was his reminder that every time he got in the pulpit, he was not to talk about himself, but he was to exalt Jesus, that the people needed to see Jesus. They didn't need to hear about him and his stories and his opinions. They needed Jesus. A pastor should never stand up and say, look at me. You should never walk away saying, that was a funny story from Pastor Sean, and I really learned a lot about Pastor Sean, and, and Sean really bared his soul this morning. If I've done that, then I've failed you. You should be walking away saying, Wow, he showed us Jesus this morning. I understand the text of Scripture. He explained that. I've pointed you to Jesus. So here's the question. Has Christ alone been exalted in the preaching? Or has the pastor drawn attention to himself? Is it more about the pastor and his personality and his stories? Or is it more about Jesus and the Bible? Have you left here this morning with a greater joy because you've seen Jesus? Has it gone from information to inspiration where you're worshiping Jesus? Has Christ been exalted? You want to know the difference between a lecture and a sermon? Here's the difference between a lecture and a sermon. In a lecture, you're feverishly writing notes because you want information. Got to write notes, got to take notes. Here's what happens when it moves from lecturing to preaching. You put the pencil down, you put the pen down, and you're on the edge of your seat just listening because it's gone from, I'm no longer getting information, I'm beginning to worship because I'm seeing Jesus. The pastor's drawn me into the glories of Jesus. He's shown me Christ from the text. The preacher's not just merely talking about Jesus, He's showing you Jesus in all of his glory from the passage of Scripture. And only Jesus can do this right here. Only Jesus can fold up the Bible and say, hey, this whole sermon's about me. It's about me. I'm, this, I'm front and center. I'm this prophet that's come to do all these things, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Boom, fold up your Bible. Today, this is about me. So number one, Jesus was 
Empowered by the Spirit. Pastors need to be empowered by the Spirit. They rely upon their congregations to pray them full. Number two, Jesus explained the text. I need to explain the text clearly, faithfully. Number three, Jesus exalted himself. I need to exalt Christ. But number four, Jesus expected a response. What does he say? He looks them straight in the eye and says, Today, today this has been fulfilled in your city, in your hearing. What are you going to do with this today, Nazareth? Not tomorrow. Not when you have time to think it over. What are you going to do today? You see, when Jesus preached this message, it demanded urgency. It demanded a response. You could not be unaffected or neutral when Jesus preached. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. They'd heard the word of Christ. Were they going to respond in faith? Hebrews 3.15, as it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Jesus says, Nazareth sermon, Nazareth congregation, I've preached a sermon. And today is the day you've got to do something about it. And then to drive his point home, Jesus says, you know what? I know this audience. I know their prejudices. I know their blindnesses. I know that they are these religious, um, prideful Jewish people that think that they're God's chosen people. Let me give them two illustrations that are just drive this, this point home and tug at their heart. So Jesus gives two illustrations at the end of his sermon. Two illustrations from the Old Testament where God went outside of Israel and showed mercy to those pagan Gentile outsiders. The first is the widow of Zarephath. Jesus says, there was many widows in Israel, but Elijah was only sent to one, the widow of Zarephath. This is from 1 Kings 17. God showed mercy to a Gentile widow outside of Jerusalem. Example number one, God shows grace to those outside the Jewish community. Illustration number two from 2 Kings chapter 5. Elisha didn't go to the lepers in Israel. He went to Naaman from Syria. Remember that whole thing where he dipped him into the pool? God showed mercy and grace to a pagan Gentile outsider. And so what was the point of Jesus' sermon? What was his main point? His main point was this. Jews and Gentiles both need Jesus because they're both just as sinful. But the problem was the Jewish audience in Nazareth Nazareth did not think they needed a Savior. They didn't think they were in captivity. They didn't think they were blind. They didn't think they needed to be rescued. They didn't think they needed a Savior, much less Joseph's son that's standing there in front of them. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, hopefully you don't respond this way to me today at the preaching of the gospel. How did the congregation respond? Oh, Jesus, that was an awesome sermon. Let me take you out to Village Inn afterwards and let's just have a good time. That was a wonderful sermon, Jesus. Oh, you really captivated my attention, Jesus. You were wonderful. Look at what the text tells you. Verse 28. 
When they heard these things, okay, when they heard these things, when they heard Jesus preaching, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were hot-blooded. They were angry. Now, how angry were they? Verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him off the cliff. They were so mad they wanted to throw Jesus off a cliff. Now, Luke uses an interesting word here. They drove, verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town. That word drove was often used in the Old Testament to drive out pestilence or Gentiles or evil people out of the assembly of Israel. It's kind of a, actually a religious word to drive out evil from the midst. So how are they treating Jesus? They're treating the Son of God as somebody who's unclean that needs to be driven out. Not as the one that can come and cleanse them. Not as the one that can come and save them. They treated him as one with the disease that needed to be expelled. They did not receive the preached word as God's truth. But they rejected it. And they rejected their Savior. The one that came to bring them good news, their hearts were hardened. John 1.11 says this, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. His own people, his own town, people he grew up with. Now, as a pastor, this is a pretty extreme response, but I need to, I need to expect some things when I preach. If I'm going to preach faithfully, if I'm going to explain the text faithfully, I do not measure success and how well my message was received. I personally measure success and how faithful I was to the text because there are going to be people that hate what I say. That's the occupational hazard of being a pastor. People will hate what you say. They won't like it. I will step on toes. I'll tell you this, in the 15, almost six, going on 16, 16, 16 years here, I have stepped on your toes and you know it. And I've stepped on my own toes. But that's because God's word does that to us. So, what should we do when we hear the word preached? How should we respond? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Mark 1, 14 through 15. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how you respond. You repent and you believe in the gospel. James 1.22 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So how do you know a sermon has been faithfully preached? Has the preacher been empowered by the Holy Spirit? Has the Bible been clearly explained? Has Christ been highly exalted? And is there a call for a response, whether that's repentance, whether that's obedience, whether that's worship? So here's the point. The living God has spoken to you this morning in this text. How will you respond? What did Jesus say today? It's fulfilled in your hearing. And as your pastor, I'm saying today, you've heard the word. How will you respond? 
There may be some of you here that are in bondage to guilt. You know you're in spiritual captivity. You know you're in sin. You know you need to be forgiven of sin. You know deep in your heart that you are separated from a holy God. What should you do today? Not tomorrow, not the next day. What should you do today? Today you should call out to Jesus to save you, to cleanse you, to forgive you. Call out to Jesus today. There may be some of you here that are prideful. You're like that audience in in the the Nazareth synagogue. I don't have any problems. I'm not as bad as the other guy. I'm pretty religious. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty moral compared to most people. I've got my act together. I dot all my I's and I cross all my T's. I've got it made. You need to respond in repentance also because you are prideful and you need Jesus just as much as everybody else does. Some of you may think, you know what? Jesus is a good teacher. He's a moral example. He's got some cool sayings. But I'm not sure if he's absolutely Savior and Lord. How do you respond to King Jesus today? You bow. You surrender your life to him today. So here's the bottom line. Jesus calls all of us with the same words he told the congregation that he grew up in. Today. Today. So here's the ultimate question. What will you do with Jesus today? How will you respond to Jesus today? Not tomorrow, not the next day, right now in this moment. He's spoken. How will you respond to the voice of the Savior? Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Desperately, we need the power, the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our preaching, in our life together as a congregation. Lord, nothing of significance will happen if, Holy Spirit, you don't do only what you can do, and that's open blind eyes, soften hearts, Bring about God's sovereign grace in people's lives. We need your power, Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be faithful to explain the text. Lord, we don't want to have our opinions or our imposition upon the Bible, but Lord, we want your word to speak clearly. So Lord, help us to read and understand your Bible. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you're highly exalted. That when we leave this place, we've worshipped you and we can walk away saying, we've seen Jesus. We've met Jesus. We've worshipped Jesus. We've sung to Jesus. We've heard from him and his word. And now we're going to go out and worship him. It's all about Jesus. And Lord, I pray for a response this morning. I pray for a decision, a time of Reckoning where people will come to to just obey and respond in, in the way that your word tells them and the Holy Spirit, you lead them to do that. So we want to be obedient. We, wanna, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. So grant us the grace to be able to do that this week. Help us to 
always, always magnify you, Jesus, and rely upon the authority of your word. Help us to be a faithful church, a church that faithfully preaches your word, a church that faithfully exalts Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.